Uh, as you can see, uh, we have some pretty intense scriptures to work through today. Uh, most of these verses are not going to be found on a coffee mug or hung on a wall, right? Like no one's crocheting this today, right? There's no one. <laughs> Uh, but even in that, I know that God has uh, a word for us. Uh, he has something in store for us uh, here. Amen? Amen? Well, hey, if you are, again, new with us today, uh, we've been in this season of going through the book of Second Peter together. And here is the bottom line of this letter. Peter uh, wants us, the Apostle Peter, wants us to grow in godliness He wants us to grow in in the knowledge of uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we began this series a few weeks ago, uh, we opened up chapter 1. And we see there Peter uh, charges the church with this purpose uh, to pursue Christ-like virtues. Uh, It's an encouraging opening and a great reminder of what you and I, those who are in Christ, what we have obtained through the gospel. And then as we opened up chapter two, uh, we saw there that Peter begins to talk about these false teachers who had crept into the church. They were being destructive, leading people astray. And so this chapter, all of chapter two, really serves as a warning to us. Peter wants us to be able to uh, detect and avoid false teaching so that, again, we can grow to be more like Christ. Well, now, today, as we work through the second half of chapter 2, what we're going to see Peter do is further address these false teachers. But more so, what he's going to do is address the the heart of their teaching. And so that's where we're heading today. We're going to address the motivation or the heart Uh, behind false teaching. We're going to look at the characteristics of the teaching itself, and then we're going to close our time with, really briefly, how we should respond to false teachers and those who follow false teaching, all right? And let me say this as as well before we dive into this text. Um, I want us to be ready uh, to flip over to the book of Jude. Um, Just a few books past 2 Peter, uh, right before the book of Revelation, And the reason for that is because a lot, a lot of what Peter is saying to us here in chapter 2, Jude actually says in his letter as well. And so Jude is going to be very helpful for us in today's study. I'll admit, as I did a couple weeks ago when we started 2 Peter 2, we once again are confronted with a difficult passage. This is not an easy passage to teach through. Um, It's not the most optimistic uh, text as well. There's a bit of doom and gloom here, actually. Uh, A little harsh and dark. uh, But hopefully, uh, in the end, uh, we'll be able to see through all of that, that we'll be able to find assurance in the gospel, and we will ultimately be compelled to be ministers of mercy, grace, and truth. Okay? So first of all, let's consider the heart or motivation behind false teachers. Uh, We dealt with this a bit in the first half of the chapter two weeks ago, and so I'm going to move through this rather quickly, but Peter repeats some things here that I think are worth repeating. Uh, So first, Peter says, in regards to the motivation of false teachers, they are motivated by arrogance, okay? 
We see that very clearly uh, in the second half of chapter 2. These teachers, they are motivated. They have a heart uh, that's full of pride and arrogance. He says in the second half of verse 10, he says, bold and willful, willful, it could be translated arrogant, bold and arrogant, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Uh, at a first glance here, uh, these words, at least in English, seem a bit jumbled, right? What in the world is Peter saying there? What does it mean to blaspheme the glorious ones? Well, I told you to be prepared to go to the book of Jude today, um, and this is one of those moments because Jude certainly provides uh, a lot of clarity on this. Actually, Jude quotes this almost exactly, but then he does us the favor, if you will, of explaining what he means, okay? So he gives context actually to Second Peter. So this is Jude, verse 8, regarding these false teachers. He says this, Yet in like manner these people, again, that's those false teachers, also relying on their dreams defile the flesh. They reject authority, which we saw Peter say. And here it is. And they blaspheme the glorious ones. And then he uses this example. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So Jude is saying, Michael, the angel, he had enough humility within himself to, to recognize that he didn't have the power, nor did he have the authority to go around pronouncing judgment specifically on evil spirits. That's what this is saying. The glorious ones, then, are evil, supernatural beings. And so Michael leaves that up to the Lord. That's what Jude says. He says, the Lord will rebuke you. That's not my job. And so we turn back to Peter, and what we see here is Peter saying, even the angels don't act like these false teachers. Uh, even they don't do this sort of thing. He's talking about how arrogant, how prideful these false teachers are, that in other words, they think that they can do anything. They have that much authority within themselves. He's saying they even mock the idea of evil or the reality that they could be influenced by evil. And in that, they have no reliance or they have no dependence on the Lord. There's a clear absence of humility within these individuals, these false teachers. And we see that even more clearly in verse 12. Peter says, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. A little harsh, right? Peter calls these people irrational animals, meaning, meaning, Rather than living by the Spirit of God, they are driven or motivated by their impulses. Rather than living by reason that is informed by God's word, they are controlled by their emotions, what they want to do. They're, they're motivated by their, their feelings. And he adds to that, he says, 
they actually present themselves to people like they're experts. But what they actually say, what they're actually teaching is rooted in ignorance. And so again, there is clear arrogance here in these false teachers, clear arrogance. Not only that, but Peter also points out that these people, they're motivated by arrogance. They're also motivated by their passions, or you could use the word here, uh, sensuality, okay? They're motivated by their passion. That's there in verse 12, which we just read, but it continues deeply here in verse 13. It says this, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. So we see here, essentially Peter says, these individuals, they have no shame. No shame. Uh, it's one thing to do things in like the, the hiddenness or the darkness of the night. It's another thing to do things in the broad daylight. They have no shame. And Peter's saying here, um, essentially what he's saying is that these individuals are staining the purity of Jesus's bride. That these individuals even had the audacity, this is how arrogant they were, they had the audacity to participate in the fellowship meals, like the feasts. Not only that, they are actually participating in, they are giving out, right, and encouraging communion, the Lord's Supper, with everyone, while at the same time they are simultaneously taking advantage of those who are younger in the faith. That's what Peter is saying here, that they are attacking people like wolves to weak lambs, very young sheep, attacking people who are both spiritually but also emotionally shaky. They are going after the most vulnerable in the gathering, and they're taking advantage of them. And, and that means taking advantage of them both spiritually, emotionally, and sexually. That's what this is, says here. And again, this is all for their own gain. It's all for their own pleasure. It's, it's a terrible thing, awful. So they are motivated by arrogance. They are motivated by their, their lust or their passions. And then finally, we see they're motivated by their greed. They're motivated by their greed. They're driven by greed. We touched on this in the first part of the chapter, but Peter emphasizes it again, emphasizes again, and so we'll do the same. In the last part of verse 14, Peter writes very clearly, they have hearts trained in greed. And then he goes at them, accursed children. Exclamation point. <laughs> I think it's really interesting uh, that this word here, trained, uh, it's the same exact word that Peter uses when he says, train yourself for godliness in chapter one. Remember, Peter was saying there um, that godliness requires discipline. It requires training. And so here he says, false teachers are training as well, uh, but they're doing that towards greed, not godliness. In fact, they not only plan it for it, they work diligently at doing this. And so he says they are cursed children. In other words, they are not children of the Father. They are children who stand under judgment. And then Peter reaches into the Old Testament and he says, let me give you an example of this in case you don't understand. 
And he pulls out a story from Numbers chapter 22 through 24. I told you there's a book of Numbers, right? Numbers chapter 22 through 24. And it's the story of Balaam. Balaam, look at this. He says this, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved game from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So we know that Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he is very similar. He's a picture of these false teachers that we now find in the New Testament. You see, when you read the story of uh, Balaam, he seems to be like a pretty good guy, at least initially, okay? He's a prophet of the Lord, right? Um, he, he won't say anything unless God permits him to do it, right? That's the facade he puts on for Israel. But at the same time, we also know about Balaam is that he was extremely crafty, sneaky, uh, deceptive. He was self-seeking. And ultimately, we know he used his gifting uh, ultimately for his own gain. And so in that story, we read this scenario where the king of Moab, uh, who was a rival of Israel, he wanted to attack Israel. But he knew that was a difficult thing to do because Israel was a very strong nation with an extremely strong army. And so he goes to Balaam and says, here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to curse your own nation uh, as a prophet. Curse them. He actually pays him to do that. And it's really crazy. You read this narrative. God won't allow Balaam to do it. Okay? And so that should be a warning, right? I'm not going to allow you to do this. It's almost like giving him a chance to repent and turn. But instead, the curse doesn't work. Balaam goes to the king of Moab, and he has some advice for him. He says, okay, well, I can't curse them, but I'll tell you what will work. Um, have all the women of Moab go to the Israelite men and seduce them. That's how you get them. That'll work. He's so sneaky, so deceptive. And Peter is saying here, this is the way of false prophets. They imitate Balaam in their greed. They're willing to do anything to obtain for themselves. They even will go as far as enticing by lust or sensuality. Does that make sense? And then Peter gives us sort of a, a little bit of humor here in the text. He basically says, hey, that donkey that spoke to Balaam on the road, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go read Numbers 22 24. Okay, read that story. But he says, that donkey that spoke to Balaam, like audibly spoke, it had more spiritual insight than the prophet himself. In other words, these false prophets, like Balaam, are fools. He just right out and says it. They are cursed, and they are fools. And so we have these three motivations, arrogance, sensuality, or passion, and greed, which is, by the way, the exact opposite of what we're to strive for as followers of Jesus Christ, right? Our lives are to be marked by humility. They're to be marked by holiness, and they're to be marked by generosity, but that's not the way of false teachers. And then after 
giving us what drives or, or motivates these false teachers, Peter then addresses their teaching. And with this teaching, we also see three things. We see that it's lifeless, we see that it's appealing, and we see that it is enslaving. And so first of all, we will see that false teaching is lifeless. Okay? It is lifeless. He says in verse 17, they are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. He's saying here, like a dry oasis in the desert or a cloud, right? It's, you know, during the heat, a cloud that comes by and looks like rain, but it just blows by. These false teachers, they promise to provide nourishment for your soul, but every time you encounter them, you just end up empty, you leave your spiritually empty. And part of this, we know, is, that, is also that false teachers were sort of floating around, if you will, um, in terms of theology and, and philosophy and their teaching as well. Like, this is actually addressed in Acts chapter 17, uh, when the Apostle Paul, he's talking to a group of philosophers at a place called Mars Hill. And he tells them there, he basically says, I'll sum it up. He says, all you guys ever want to do is discuss new ideas all the time. That's all you want to do. Like the truth is here. Here's the reality of the gospel. This is the way to go. But all you do is huddle around and talk about new ideas and then teach that to other people. The point being, you're not stable. These teachers, false teachers are not stable. They just drift around. They have no theological foundation. That's what this is about. Which, by the way, is why when people follow them, they get carried away. They drift away as well. They get driven away around like they're in a, a storm, tossed to and fro, Paul says in Ephesians 4, like every wind in, of doctrine. So again, this is a lifeless teaching. It comes with a lot of promises, but it never delivers. Next, we see that their teaching is appealing. It's appealing. And of course, I mean that in the negative sense, uh, the fleshly sense, not the spiritual sense. It's appealing. So this is why people fall for it. This is why people follow this teaching. We see it in verse 18. It says this, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So Peter says they are very, um, let's say, showy speakers. They are loud. They are flashy. Um, in that, they are very persuasive. But at the core of them, particularly in the content that's coming from them, it's actually foolish. It's actually foolish. It's loud, but simultaneously, it's nonsense. And what Peter says they were advocating for here is this sort of loose, worldly lifestyle. It was all about uh, do what you want. Um, Epicurism, okay, if you were really interested in the philosophy, do that on your own time. Um, but it's this idea of you do what feels best. You do what you think is best for you. It, it's very similar to our modern-day culture, actually, in postmodernism. It mimics each other a lot. So this is very relevant to our time and to our day. 
This has always been the case, right? And it's, and it's actually been the case since the beginning of time. We know there in, in Genesis, right, the enemy comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. And what are his words to them? He says, take from the tree that God told you not to take from. And why? He says, because when you eat of it, you'll be like God. In other words, you will have true freedom. You'll know everything. You'll be able to do what you want, live how you want. You'll be God, right? So, so listen, it was the message then. It was the message at the time of Second Peter in the first century. And it's the same message from false teachers now. Do what you want. Live how you want. They almost, in a sense, they're questioning uh, which way to go. Or is God's way really the best way? Do you really think so? Does he really want you to sacrifice all that? Does he really, does he really want you to sell everything you have to follow him? Doesn't that seem greedy or selfish of him? Right? You can see this. Wouldn't it be better for you just to go your own way? You've got a good education. You've got a lot of wisdom. People look up to you. You've been successful in your career. Go your own way. Like, listen, if we are not deeply rooted in and established in the truths and realities of the gospel, it's actually so easy to drift. It's so easy to drift, right? That's why we have to know the truth. We have to know deeply what Jesus taught us and what he commanded us because actually there is no truth outside of Jesus. There is no freedom apart from Jesus. Every other teaching, every other philosophy, every other worldview in our world is enslaving. And that's actually number three. False teaching, all other teaching besides the gospel of Jesus Christ is enslaving. False teaching is enslaving. We see this in verses 19 through 22. Look at verses, nine, look at verses 19, start there. It says this, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So they promise freedom, but it's not real freedom. They say, again, you can live the way that you want to live. You can do what you want to do. Do what you please. Right? That sounds great, right? Can you imagine a philosophy that way? Here's the religion. Do whatever feels best. (laughs) But Peter says... Do you know what happens when you do that? When you give yourself over to that lifestyle, when you give yourself into the world's ways over and over and over again and not God's ways, when you give yourself to sin again and again, you're not free. You're actually enslaved. You're a slave. You're in bondage, he says. See, sin never frees us. Sin always puts us in captivity. Sin lies to us. It makes us foolish. So Peter says, no, no, no. These are, again, they're empty promises. They're not leading you to life. They're actually leading you to your death. If you remember how Peter opens this letter back in chapter 1, verse 4, Peter says there that God has granted to us his very precious and very great promises God has given us promises, he says, so that through those promises, you and I can become partakers of the divine nature. We have been given these promises, 
praise God for the gospel. We've been given these amazing promises so that we can become like the person of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel gives us these promises that are true, these promises that actually change our very nature, that in that set us free, whereas false teaching gives us empty promises, and in that it always leaves people unchanged. Listen, nothing, nothing else besides the gospel can transform a heart. And so Peter actually elaborates on this because I think it's so essential for all of us to understand. And let me just give you the bottom line of what he says before we read these next, these next verses together. What Peter explains here to us is how at some point these false teachers who had come into the church, that they themselves had actually encountered the gospel. He seems to be saying that initially they even made some sort of profession of faith. But through their actions and through their teaching and now their words, that commitment that they had initially made is proving to be false. In other words, they never really had genuine faith. They had the look and appearance of receiving Christ. Maybe they even had the appearance of living for God, right? Going out and serving now and then, doing the right thing, looking like a good person. But ultimately, like the parable of the four seeds, Jesus teaches us, it didn't last. So this is how he explains it. He says this, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. See that? The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Really, really strong words here. Peter says, it would have actually been better for these individuals never to have heard or known the truth and the reality of the gospel. See, knowledge of the gospel, we have to understand this. It's a treasure. The gospel is a treasure. Knowledge of the gospel is a privilege. But with it, also carries accountability, responsibility. In other words, we are all responsible to respond to that which we know. And and these people apparently, again, have been taught the gospel. They know the truth about Jesus Christ. They were taught it, maybe even by some of the apostles themselves. They even Again, stood up and made some initial commitment to it, but then Peter says they chose to go back to their entangled life. It was too appealing. And so again, Peter says it would have been better for them to have not even known in the first place. Peter essentially presents to us here that there are two paths, and he's echoing all of the scriptures in this, by the way, that there are just two paths that each and every one of us can go. And again, we see this throughout the scriptures, all throughout it. Like in Psalm 1, we are told that there are two ways to live. Just two. Or Jesus says there are two ways. He says there's the narrow road and there's the broad road. And now here in 2 Peter, you have the way of Balaam, he says in verse 15. The way of greed, the way of passion and sensuality, the way of 
arrogance, selfishness, self-centeredness, or Peter says, there is the way of righteousness. And that is Jesus's way. That's the gospel-centered way. Well, then Peter concludes this section by quoting a proverb. This comes from Proverbs 26, verse 11, actually, very specifically. He says this, what the true proverb says has happened to them. So he says, this proverb has come to fulfillment in these false prophets. And what does he say? The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, that's the pig, washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire, the mud. Now, I don't think I need to explain the idea of a dog going back to its vomit much today. Um, I don't have to go too much into the Greek language here, okay? I, I hope you get the picture. Um, by the way, it's worth to say that uh, I think this picture here, um, it's, it's very, it's supposed to be despicable. It's disgusting. Um, dogs in the first century uh, weren't cute like your pets that you have at home, okay? Or you think they're cute in your home, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> either way, <laughs> Uh, they were seen in the same category as rats, okay? Uh, disgusting. And so you do what you want with that, right? Um, but we have, you know, put them in houses. And, or, anyway, so the dog returns with its vomit. It's meant to be a despicable picture. So it's not like, you know, like here in Seoul, like, you know, like the, the dog with the boots on and it's all fluffy and it's like, ah, back to its vomit. That's not the picture. These are like rats going back to eat vomit, okay? So I just want to be clear on that. Peter is using this illustration, though, to say these teachers, again, they were enticed and eagerly longed to go back to their worldly lifestyle. It's a, it's a disgusting, nasty picture of sin, and it's a really good one. Going back to your sin, he says, it's supposed to make you sick to your stomach. Going back to your sin is like going back to eat vomit. That's what he says. And then he furthers this idea with the picture of the pig, another you know, decrepit animal in that culture, especially for Jews, right? These pigs, they get all, you know, the farmer comes in, wash them, you know, all nice and clean. But what do they do? They go back to the pen and they dive right back into the mud and they roll around, right? That's what pigs do. It's in their nature. The main point in both of these pictures, again, being that they are slaves to their flesh. They are slaves to their sin. So listen, today, today, you can go Jesus' way. You can go the way of life. You can go to Jesus. You can run to him, the one who nourishes and, and feeds you. Or, Peter says, you can have the vomit. And there is only two ways. Teaching outside of the gospel, it is lifeless. It is appealing in the wrong way, and it is enslaving it will always leave you unchanged and longing for more. And how different, how different is that, is that to our God today, who, who satisfies us to the full, who gives us what we, what we truly need, who knows us enough and cares for us enough to give us what we need. How different is Jesus, where in him is the fountain of, of life, in him, true peace and grace and mercy and love and freedom is found. As we wrap up today, I, I thought about what's a way to close this. Um, 
to be honest, closing chapter two, it's sort of like, well, you know, don't be a dog or a pig, right? <laughs> go to Christ. Don't go to the vomit. That's the bottom line. They tweet it. Don't go to vomit. Don't eat vomit today, right? <laughs> um, but I thought as we wrap up this chapter, really in light of all of chapter two, I think a more appropriate way to close it is really briefly discussing how are we to respond to this, knowing everything about these false teachers and their followers. How should we best respond to the presence of false teaching? Because remember, we saw this in the beginning of chapter two, it's not if we will confront false teaching, it's when. It's not if we will be confronted with false teachers, it's when. And so what do we do? What is the appropriate response? And I'll just give you two very, very brief things. First of all, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. I hope this is an obvious takeaway from today. Um, but at times, uh, I think it's also helpful to state the obvious. Just because you know the gospel doesn't mean you don't have to hear the gospel again. Just because you know, hey, I shouldn't be deceived. Well, you need to hear it again. Don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. Uh, we should know now, because Peter has warned us, that false teaching is appealing. It is persuasive. So let's be aware of that reality. Let's stay alert that it has, the, it has within itself uh, a draw, if you will. So let's, let's know that. And one of the best ways that you can stay alert one of the best ways that you can be ready, it's very simple actually, it's, it's to know the truth. That's it. You wanna not be deceived? Know the gospel really, really, really well. So that it's easy to identify any false gospels that come your way, right? Think of it like being a counterfeit money expert, right? I think we have a picture of this on the screen, do we? Great. One of these $100 bills, this is American money, okay? One of these $100 bills is a fake. One of them is real. Can you guess which one? The top one is a fake. The bottom one that looks a little more pronounced and shiny, that's actually the real one. And how can you tell? Like if I was to put that in front of you, and gave you 100 of those bills, and 50 of them looked like the top one, and 50 like the bottom, how would you ever know? You'd be taking counterfeit money all day long. Right? And this is why there's experts in this field, by the way. How can you tell? The only way to know, the only way to be able to tell the difference, is if you know what characterizes the real money, right? It's the only way to spot the fake. You have to know in immense detail, every corner, every color, to perfection, what the real is so that when you spot the fake, you'll know it immediately. And by the way, that's exactly what counterfeit experts of money do. They study real money all day long. That's their job. Every nook and cranny, they know what's real every detail, so that again, it's very, very hard to deceive them. So for us, what does that mean? Well, let's be counterfeit gospel experts, if you will. 
Right? Let's know Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, and let's know his teaching really, really, really well so that we will not easily be deceived. It is true that part of my responsibility and my job, I think it's Titus 1.9, is to teach you the truth so that you're not deceived. It's part of my responsibility, okay? I'm held accountable to God for that someday. But don't just rely on me. Don't just rely on your missional family leader. Get in the truth of God's word for yourself and know it really, really, really well so that at 10 p.m. at night, when you're home alone watching a video that was on YouTube about what in the world this pandemic was about, and it means the end of the world is coming, like in 2021, you would know the gospel that we're still here, <laughs> okay? You gotta know the gospel for yourself because I'm not gonna be there all the time. Know the gospel really, really well. You want a list of resources? Great, we have a ton of them. Amazing resources available at you. You have no idea. Maybe if I told you how much resource is out there, you'd be like, do we even need this guy up here? Right, 100 years ago, studying this text, everything, so difficult. You have so much access to information now, it's unbelievable, but yes, you have to discern what is good, what is not. So let's help you with that. But you gotta know the gospel really, really well because otherwise you will at times find yourself being deceived. That's not saying anything negative against you. That's including myself, right? And then finally, how do we respond to false teaching and false teachers? Number two, we are to not be deceived and also we are to be a minister of mercy and truth. Be a minister of mercy and truth. I actually want us to go back to Jude to see this. So turn back to Jude with me. There's only one chapter in the book of Jude, okay? So if I say Jude chapter one, it's one, you know. It's Jude one, if you will, but it's verse, starting in verse 17. Look at verse 17. A lot of this language, by the way, should sound very familiar. A lot of really good New Testament scholars believe, actually, that when Peter sat down and he was writing 2 Peter, Jude, the letter of Jude was out in front of him, okay? That he was reading Jude, and that's why he doesn't give us as much detail as Jude, because he assumes that we know Jude, okay? We know what Jude says. So let me tell you what Jude says. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. See that again? It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Again, they follow their emotions, not the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Pause. So Jude, like Peter tells us, grow in godliness, build yourself up, strive towards Christ-likeness. Then he continues, keep yourselves in the love of God. That is, make your calling and election sure. Peter told us that. Doing what? Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And again, the false teachers rejected that. There is no return of the Lord, right? Live how you want. Do what you want. He's not coming back. And then Jude adds something really, really important. As we think about responding to false teachers, as we think about 
responding to people who have gone astray or following a different way than the gospel, he says this, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I want you to see how Jude tells followers of Jesus to be a minister of mercy and truth to everyone. That's what he says. Including those who doubt, three categories. Those who doubt, to those who are in the fire, and to those who have gone really, really far away, who've been deeply entrenched in false doctrines. Actually, what we see here is Jude uh, gives us this progression, if you will, uh, from those who are least affected by false teaching to those who have been most affected by false teaching. Do you see that there? He says to group one, reach out very gently to those who doubt. To group two, he says, reach out quickly with urgency. Snatch them out of the fire. And then to group three, he says, reach out very carefully. Okay, so reach out gently, reach out quickly, and then reach out carefully. That as you go after this last category of people, show mercy to them, yes, but do it with fear. So notice here, the response that Jude gives us is not look down upon those who are caught in false teaching. It's not think of yourself as better than those who are caught in false teaching. It's not pride. It's not arrogance. It's one word, mercy. It's mercy. Have mercy on those who doubt. Look, I know, okay? Trust me, I know. It can be very easy to lose patience with those who doubt. It can be really easy to lose patience, to have growing frustration with those who doubt the claims of the gospel. But we must not. It is tempting to be harsh when people, when we think like people don't have it all together. Like they know the right way, but they keep going a different way. Like it's tempting to be harsh, but we are to speak with them, to them with gentleness and with truth, Peter says. He's also essentially saying here that we're never to give up on people. Never. We're to stay hope-filled to the very end. I mean, so that includes anyone who's here today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, okay, if you, if you don't belong to Jesus Christ, if you're not, you don't believe in his, his life, that he lived a perfect life, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the grave, that, that he offers you life and peace to the full, if you're not in that category today, today I want to just tell you this personally, you are more than welcome here. We, we want you to be here, actually. We want you to listen and, and observe and, and, and think and consider because we were all, at some point, all of us were there. So you are more than welcome uh, to, to be here. And, and along with that, let me say this as well. Uh, forgive us when we're not patient with you. That now you know the call of a follower of Jesus. That we are to be patient with you in your pursuit of being here and finding truth. This is the call. You can hold us accountable to it. You don't have to do this, but we do. We are to be patient with you. We are to show mercy to you when you doubt. And again, we are to remain merciful, Peter says, while at the same time with one category of people, while being cautious. 
Jude says that we are to hate even the garment stained by the flesh. He's saying here that there is, there is a certain type of person that we must be careful to reach out to. People who are in deeper lifestyles of sin, that if we go there, we might be tempted to fall into that sin or entangled in that sin as well. And to that category of people, he says, continue to be merciful, but do it with caution. Make sure you're guarded, right? Make sure the armor of the Lord is with you, right? Make sure you're going into that situation with, with great resolve, right? I remember a few years ago, uh, this was like four or five years ago, um, everything was open or whatever. You, you guys know, and if you're not familiar, Itaewon um, area, there's a lot of clubs there, and there's actually a little red light district um, there as well, where like, there's like sex trafficking there, and um, as well, there's a lot of um, transgender clubs and bars, and um, uh, all that is there as well. And, um, and so there was actually a, a group uh, in our gathering um, who Friday nights, twice a month, they would go to the red light district. And um, the majority of them were Korean speaking because the majority there are Korean, the workers. And they would actually go and minister to, specifically to the the women there or in these transgender bars. But every time before they went, there was a a prayer. It was entrenched in prayer, deeply, deeply entrenched in prayer. God, keep us here, right? Because there's guys there as well who are going and, if you've ever walked by those windows, it's, it can be enticing. Your mind can drift and wander. But we know at the same time we have to go to them. Because who will? We have the truth of the gospel, but we're, we're prayerful as we do that. So he says, to those in that category, be cautious, be careful while being merciful. So listen, all of us in this room, all of us in this room know people who are caught up in in some sort of false gospel, right? All of us, they, they follow another religion or they follow a, another modern day worldview. And that reality today, it should grieve us. We should pray. We should pray for them. And we should speak truth to them as we desire their salvation. But how do we continue to be faithful in that pursuit? How? Well, we remember, it's simple, we remember that God has saved us. That he has saved us. We remember that God has shown incredible mercy to us. That he has rescued us from the fire. Knowing that truth and that alone should cause us to reach out, to share truth, and to show mercy. Freedom Village, let's know this together today. God has shown us such great mercy. And so let's commit ourselves to spreading that message together. The best message in the world, that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, came and lived a perfect life. He died in our place. He rose victoriously from the grave. He ascended on high into heaven. And he's coming back. He's coming back to make all things new in a world with so much false teaching, in a world with so much bad news, we get to go and tell the truth. We get to go and share the best news in the world. And so let's be faithful 
to that call. Amen? Call the praise team back up to join me.